This is a Culture Inject production. Welcome back to Part of Us. We have a ton to discuss this episode, so let's get on into it. Um, But first, a little housekeeping. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at InvogueCraze and on Twitter at Part of Us Fancast. Ideas, interview requests, comments, or questions, please email them to us at partofusevf at gmail.com. And if you like what you hear, please rate and review our podcast. What is trending? Uh, what's new with them, Vogue? What do we need to catch up with? Well, I will say that I did go to the mixtape tour yes. on, I think that was Friday, May 27th. And, um, you know, it was as we kind of predicted. I was there from Vogue. I felt like in New York, I had on my sunglasses. I had my leg crossed. I was sitting in my seat. I did not want to be bothered, but I was. Um, <laughs> like, she was only there for Flav. I was only there for In Vogue. But you had these new kids fans that just kept harassing me. Um, they were tapping on my shoulder and they're like, you know, you can get up and party with us if you want to. I don't. I was, I mean, and I, I wasn't trying to be like that, but like the catalog and like I kind of have to explain how the seats were set up it was like a T so I'm facing forward but a lot is happening to my side and so like for new kids on the block I'm not gonna stand up I'm not gonna like turn my neck to look because I really don't care so I was just sitting straight at some points I got on my phone whatever but in Vogue was great I enjoyed seeing them I enjoyed seeing them in that setting like an arena I don't think I've ever seen them in an arena I've seen them at a drive through concert I've seen them at Savant Theater I've seen them at like a charity event so I've seen them in a lot of different settings but never in an arena I've never seen them with pyro I've never seen them with like the big lights so I love seeing them presented like that in such a big setting yeah with the production budget uh they came out and did My Love Me, You're Never Gonna Get It and Free Your Mind. They're in the silver kind of like, uh, of course, iconic My Love and Dresses, but they kind of, they were giving muse to me during those two performances. Jenny McCarthy was like, I saw Jenny McCarthy, like, I have to post the video. My life is just in shambles right now, but Jenny McCarthy was there. She was, you know, showing them love. She was excited. Um, they did great. And then, of course, it was more new kids. Um, and Rick Astley, so I was on the phone and I'm still being harassed, like, leave me alone. Like, they're like, get up and dance with us. Why don't you, who do you like? Which act are you here for? Leave me alone. And so then, um, so yeah, I had to go through several people. I think it was like, uh, Rick Astley, New Kid, Salt and Pepper. Salt and Pepper did What a Man at some point. So, of course, the book came out and they went into Don't Let Go, which was really good. And then it was more, even more New Kids. And then at some point, like, Invoke did Hold On, but they didn't do the intro. And then, you know, that was just pretty much it. I left early. I couldn't sit through. Like, it was like it got to some point where, um, like, Salt and Pepper was doing Push It and Jordan Knight came out. And not Jordan Knight, who was it? Donnie Wahlberg. He came out and they were, it was just really corny. So I was like, you know what? Okay, I've, you know, I've done my part as a fan. I'm leaving. I left. Um, I did go to the meeting read earlier. The meeting read like started at four, the concert started at eight. So I had been there all day, but at the meeting greet, I failed the team. I wasn't able to ask any uh, questions, really. I did <laughs> promote the podcast. Um, you know, I took, 
Rona, she knew about the podcast. Uh, she did a little raise of the roof. She was like, I've heard about it. I've heard it's really good. I was like, you definitely have to come on. I was like, you all have to come on. Cindy and Terry, you know, they looked, uh, you know, like... Uh, you know, kind of they have the deer eyes, like the artists got wide, but they didn't, you know, acknowledge if they had heard it or not. But I do hope they all come on. Um, I'm still waiting for my meeting group photo. Overall, I would say like they're definitely great. I love seeing them in uh that setting, but you know, new kids, that's just <laughs> good. So, somebody from the group had to go, so, like right. this group. <laughs> so, so was um, was Cindy in the boot? No, she was not in the boot at that point. Like, that's really uh, recent. That's like a couple of like two shows ago. Like, it's recent, recent. Yeah, stress fracture. So, I mean, I got to see them in their full glory. Like I said, for some reason, they didn't do the intro to Hold On. They didn't do Who's Loving You. And I don't know what stage they were on because I couldn't, I just saw the screen. I was like, where is Invoke? But I guess there's multiple stages, you know, because when one act is getting off, another is getting on. Um, so I knew that that was pretty much it. I did want to see the baby doll dresses, but I just had to leave. You know, I was like, if you know, like, like you know, when you're at a concert and somebody keeps bumping into you and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then five minutes later, they're doing it again. And it's just like, okay, these are micro they're not even microaggressions at that point like leave me alone (laughs) so i was just kind of over it um but like i said i'm happy i got to see them presented in that manner for like five songs so that was my that's like my review i will say that i understand like you want to leave early and like even the people who are like trying to get you to party with them (laughs) i I hate it's kind of like like let me be on my way you know what i mean you you enjoy your time how you want to draw your time but I'm going to my time the way I want to draw my time I, you know I don't need to like be you know out here acting ratchet and you know being loud like I'm, I'm enjoying myself the bougie way I want to I want to enjoy myself you know so, but and I'm not gonna it. act ratchet for the new kids. Like I just couldn't believe they had all those fans, and they had like I right. thought the side ponytails and the day glow and the fanny packs and stuff. Like let's relive the '90s and the late. I wasn't there for that, so I'm sorry. I just wasn't. I wasn't feeling it like that. But it's always good to see my girls. Well, ho- well, hopefully this won't be their their last, you know, stadium tour that has a budget behind it where we can kind of see them in that light. I hope that there is like a girl group tour or something like that that they can be a part of. I or even if they open for like Janet or something or like an actual legend, you yeah. know, like support an actual, you know, Elton John or somebody. I'll Diana Ross. I'll be here for that for sure. Also, get well soon, Cindy. We don't want you get yes. out that boot. But y'all see she was still in the gym. She was like, I'm going a, I'm to a carry this boot to the gym. So Okay, she <laughs> she said I, she said I'm going to uh, adjust my workouts for my animal. I'm like, girl, no, just rest, child. You'll be fine. I mean, Cindy has always been like super fit, always snatched. You know what I mean? So I'm like, girl, you not going to the gym is not going to kill you. Just rest. It's okay. But I mean, I appreciate the passion. They're so dedicated. I actually really love watching the tour stuff on like Instagram, like the stories. And I kind of like, I really enjoy Cindy's uh, little tours of the backstage or whatever, because they really are very regimented. Like, they got all the good food back there and they I know they over there eating sm- like drinking smoothies and eating salads cause like they are right. so fit okay <laughs> they're like oh we have craft services do you want some steak they're like no I have my my kale and, and, and strawberry smoothie or whatever but that's why they look good 
So, a new photo has surfaced, courtesy of Kevin on the Craze Facebook page. Thank you, Kevin. The picture is an outtake from the photo shoot for the Don't Let Go single with the ladies posing on the floor. What do y'all think? Me personally, I actually love this photo. I love candidates that come out editorial. Like, you know, it's kind of like, oh, we're in, we're in between takes, having a conversation, and then the photographer just snaps the picture and it just comes out looking like this. It looks great. It looks great to me. What do you guys think? I love it so much. I love it. I love it. I love it. Because I just think the styling is so... This whole shoot is just so dope to me. Um, I love the styling of it. And I love that they're playing with levels in a way that we don't usually see. So, like, usually, you know, group photos mean that everybody's tight together. I think it's an interesting, like, to have um, Cindy all the way standing tall, all the way down to, like... um, max like hanging out on the ground like i just think that's it's it's a dope photo like right. it could have been used for something and i kind of want to see I, I would love to see all of the the shots from that one i know that it's it's got personality um i like it <laughs> <laughs> i jp i can't i can't stand you. <laughs> okay i like the photo i mean i don't have any i know why i can see kind of why the other one was selected though i like the other one a little bit more because they're kind of it's more uniform with the laughter it's you know there's just something you know when people are laughing uh i don't know i just love pictures like that like there's a picture of the golden girls i think where um it's three of them laughing and i think um like rose uh or betty white like she's not laughing i don't know there's just something about pictures of people laughing i love but um what i really want to see and kevin i thank you so much for that outtake but dawn talked about this session and she was like there was another look that they had where they're like they have um I think she said it was very clean. Like they might have had on suits and like um, their hair, is, hair was pulled back. Um, so hopefully that services soon. But I, I do like the outtake. It's always nice to have um, an outtake. I prefer their outtakes of, of images and videos more so than um, the music. Well, I want to know how does how did this this photo surface? Like, I mean, was it just sitting in someone's garage one day, or like <laughs> where does it come from? Well, that's probably what it is. You know, there's so many creative people that are involved in shoots like those. Like, I think in this particular one, Orlando Pita did the hair. So just think like, um, you know, one of the creative people, you know, like, oh, look at this outtake. Let me put it on social media. I don't know, Kevin, you could tell us if this is, you know, how you found the picture if you want to. If you don't, you know, you could keep it, uh, you know, locked down. But I think that's what, like, um, like there's a particular stylist who, um, you know, shot them for... I think TV Guide, and they have them like this. Uh, it's the originals, probably around Funky Divas, and they're in Asadina Leia. Um, like, she shared that photo, and once she shared it, then, you know, all of the fan sites reposted it. You know, I think that's how a lot get out. I think Robert Vedica uh, might have did their hair for the shoot that they did with Dave LaChapelle's EV3, and he just posted um, something that hadn't been released, and then, you know, a certain, you know, you're following their hashtags, a fan site gets it, and that's how, I mean, that's how I've seen the photos get released the creative people yeah i think I, now that i keep looking at i definitely can see why it wasn't it wasn't used because maxine her body language is amazing but I, her face is like it's probably a bit too candid like you know the rest of the ladies like it's still it's like kind of like a beauty shot but maxine is she's like you know probably i don't know what you tell dawn but it must be good <laughs> He's like, girl, they got some crab cakes for lunch, girl. <laughs> or something. But I love it. I love it. 
Well, um, not many people know that this was actually the style that they planned for EV3 before Dawn left, but they needed, uh, they felt that they needed to change the style to compensate for the sex appeal that left with Dawn. I mean, I can see that. I mean, Dawn does have that, that edge. She, she's always had that edge. So I can, I can kind of see that. I don't get what that means. I mean, I think like so, with the with the co- like when you think about the EV3 cover and even like maybe some of the looks from the video, they did, I, th- I think they did try to up the sexy in like a more traditional way and less of a like in vogue classy kind of way. Like I don't know, just I, they probably knew that the void was there and they had to fill it. Even in the Don't Let Go video, like you know. They all look amazing. I love how they were styled, but you know, Maxine is in that bodysuit. She's fully covered, you know, with a little bit of breast, a peekaboo of her of her boobies. Um, Cindy is fully covered with that. She has on a blouse, but it's covered with that leather jacket. You know what I mean? But uh, I would say Don is showing the most skin. You know, the girls are out there sitting. The boobs are boobing. You know, so I definitely kind of see like she she kind of brings that sex appeal, that edge to the group because, you know, Cindy and Terry are, are known for being a little bit more conservative. Even in uh, a coat, even in, even covered up in all these layers, she still was giving it to him. But so I'm trying to get what the quote means. So are they saying that because like the sex appeal was gone, they were trying to get even more sexy or they were just went in a totally different because to me, EV3 particularly like when they first came out it was more so i would say avant-garde it was more so hulk couture like whatever um you know like that was not oh we're gonna wear tight dresses and mini skirts it was you know they had you know they're wearing vinyl and it was very goth with these big afros and so, so it wasn't like you know summer dresses with boobs pushed up that like riddle it seemed like that's when they were like okay oh we're gonna wear these push-ups and there's gonna be pushed up to our neck but ev3 like too gone too long like corresponds with this don't let go album cover but whatever i wouldn't even say they were trying to be to me like if you're trying to be sexy like that i mean you know maybe people are into that kind of you know like necrophilia or something but they very pale and marilyn manson-esque i guess we could get into that when we talk about ev3 but i'm just trying to figure out if this means that they were trying to be even more sexy or they were like let's just abandon sex appeal altogether i guess i could theorize that in every girl group, everybody has a persona. And so now that Dawn left, probably they're like, okay, let's redistribute these personas. Who's who? You know, because Dawn leaving, you know, that kind of takes away an aspect of the brand, I guess. Um, I mean, that's just, this is just me theorizing, you know, so. It could be that maybe it's less around, like, sex appeal to Matan's point and more like they just knew they needed like an edge like an edgier something like and that edge came in like this sort of couture moment versus streetwear or something you know what i mean like Mm, but they okay maybe that's what it was let's get into the discussion for this episode which is about the album ev3 uh, we always like to start a little bit with history. So um, about EV3, in response to the large commercial success of Don't Let Go, the group got to work on its third studio album, and it was released on June the 17th, 1997, and it was originally titled Friendship. And it 
and it includes Horrible. songs <laughs> includes songs produced by Foster McElroy, um, Ivan Mateus, Babyface, David Foster, and Organized Noise. So the album debuted in the U.S. at number eight on both Billboard's top R&B and hip hop albums chart and the Billboard 200 with sales of seventy six. 76.5 thousand units, excuse me. The band's highest first week numbers. Kudos. As the album neared completion, Dawn chose to leave the group in April 1997 after contractual negotiations reached a stalemate. That was, I remember that MTV News. You know how it just used to pop up on the screen? This is MTV News. And it was like, Dawn is out the group. <sighs> but when she left, her departure from Invoke Force magazine, Cindy and Terry to re-record several of Don's original lead vocals. However, not every track was re-recorded, with Robinson's leads remaining intact on several tracks and her background vocals still appearing on every song, with the exception of Does Anybody Hear Me? And most likely um, Eyes of a Child. That seems to have been written after she was after her departure because she's not credited as a writer on that song. EB3 was certified one times platinum by the Recording Industry Association of America, selling over 1 million copies in the United States. So EB3 featured four singles, Don't Let Go, Love, Whatever, Too Gone, Too Long, and Let It Flow. EB3 received mixed reviews from critics, many of whom praised the band's vocal performances, but were critical with overall production. I agree with the critics in that regard. I'm seeing in my head, I don't remember his name, but he was like a billboard editor. And back in the day, you know, like editors, like if you watch VH1 and all those um, types of um, channels and the shows on there, there are certain people who you remember. So you might remember seeing the guy, he was like an older white guy, but I remember him, uh, he had a column and he just talked about how for every good song on EV3, there was an equally bad one. (laughs) And I mean, we can agree or disagree on, you know, which were the good ones and which were the bad ones. But I do think just as far as consistency, there really wasn't any, like, I like the record. I think the production is good, but it, you know, um, I guess we'll get into that later, but I can kind of see how people had, you know, not too great feelings about it. The sound was definitely a little watered down to me. I think we discussed this before on like a um, a past episode where In Vogue was becoming more mainstream. And, you know, with Don't Let Go being one of their biggest mainstream hits, I can see, you know, record companies wanted them to kind of be a little marketable for mainstream audiences. But these song choices, I feel like it just waters them down. They're a soulful R&B group. They need to do soulful R&B music, you know, um, that, well, can, that can reach the, the, the masses. But I just, I just feel like a lot, a lot of these song choices that are on this album are really poor, poor, poor song choices, in my opinion. In my humble opinion. Did you know In Vogue was nominated for a Grammy Award for Best R&B Vocal Performance by a duo or group for Don't Let Go, but lost to Celine Dion? Now, how did they lose to Celine Dion? She's not a group or duo. Oh, no. It was, um, that actually went to the Fugees for Killing Me Softly. That was a stat category, though, because it was, um, uh, Killing Me Softly was that category, uh, Slow Jams. Then they had Never Miss the Water with Shaka Khan and Michelle and Ocello, And then they also had um, Stomp. 
Okay, I think Killing Me Softly, even though it's a cover, I don't know. See, that's the thing. Best group R&B or do like, you know, like Lauren went into the studio. She did all of the background vocals. Um, She did probably all of the, uh, all of the lead. All you heard, Wyclef, Wyclef might've, what did he say in the song? He might've just yelled something, but that wasn't really a group performance. I'm trying to think, Killing Me. Like, it wasn't prize and, um and Y Club harmonizing. It was probably all Lauren. She did everything. And if it was someone else singing, it wasn't Proz or uh, Y Club. So why would they win? Like, to me, that's not fair. But, you know, the Grammys, the Grammys are trash. The so. Grammys are never fair. But, Ever. but that's interesting. I, but I they can, did. I can, Killing Was Healthy was a huge song. Like, it was a huge it was song. A huge song. So I can definitely see why it won. But In Vogue did win a Soul Train Lady of Soul Award for Best R&B Rap or Soul Single by Group Band or Duo and was also nominated for the Billboard Music Award for Top Soundtrack Single. All right. So the album reviews and Powers writing for Spin felt that the album follows the groove laid down by the group's creators, Denzel Foster and Thomas McElroy, expressing female prowess in terms of love, sex, the seductiveness, socially conscious righteousness, and all that independent attitude. Complimenting Invoke's flawless form, she concluded that, like an acrobatic Jordan jam with a minute left in the fourth quarter, EV3 elic- elicits a familiar, gleeful wonder at humanity's potential. Um, and also, the Los Angeles Times writer, Connie Johnson, felt Dawn Robinson's presence on her final work with the group was an integral part of the womanly, more mature stance of the album. She ranked Diane Warren Penn Too Gone Too Long among the album's highlights, calling it a performance upon which musical reps are truly built. Too Gone Too Long is probably like one of my favorite songs by Ingo. It Diane Warren, she she wrote with her with her golden pen when she, she did when she created that thing. And I think that song for me, the production, and that was David Foster. I don't know, you know, produ- production versus how a song started before. You know, magazine talks about how when they got the demo, like it was very, I'll just say unsolved. I can't remember what word she used. And then they kind of had to work it out so that it became what it did. So I would love to hear the actual demo and then just hear how it all came to like, that will be interesting for me. Just like hearing like what exactly a producer does, because some producers, they apparently do nothing. And then some people, they could just totally rework an entire song, but the strings on too gone too long, like just not even like, I can listen to the instrumental of that song. Like the, the changes, the chord changes and progressions. It's that is probably, I get what that critic is saying. That's a great song. I love, too gone too long when it first like initially but now it's it's one of those songs that does not it doesn't hit for me anymore like it's i like other songs better on ev3 it's something about it now i don't know it's it's weird it's the sound of that song is so i don't know i think when i think about diane warren and david foster songs to me it's just not as good as some of the other ones like when i think about have you ever or uh, for you, I will, or you know, kind of that era where you know every R and B diva had to have a Diane Warren, David Foster collaboration. Uh, I don't know. It just that one just does not. 
I don't know. It just... well, it's interesting you mentioned Monica and Brandy songs because like those are kind of, you know, being in love and I'm so in love. And then she gave in vogue the one where it's like, you know, I don't love you. Like it's over. Hit the road, Jack. And don't you come back. I wonder why. And knowing that there was a demo, was that song written with them in mind? Or did, you know, they have an A&R person who was like, oh, Diane Warren has this song. And another interesting thing is that Andrea Martin has said that don't let go. They had Aerosmith in mind. Um, they were, and Ivan Mateo said it was for the Armageddon soundtrack. Then Diane Warren wrote, I don't want to miss a thing for Aerosmith for the Armageddon soundtrack, which, you know, ended up being like this huge song. I think it was like a number one for Aerosmith. And so wouldn't that have been interesting if they would have got like a big love song like that? Like it's just, to me, it's just interesting that Diane Warren is known mainly for love songs I'm like the I'm in love in love type of love songs and then for them she didn't give them that she gave them you know did I hear you say that you know all instead of you know what it is it reminds me of Whitney Houston's song I learned from the best or Whitney Houston's I learned from the best reminds you of Too Gone Too Long because Too Gone Too Long came out first yeah but do you like Whitney's version better I do uh, I'll say though, maybe, I don't know. I think Diane Warren and David Foster songs in particular, this might be a controversial opinion. I don't think that they are, they don't feel as fresh and timeless. Like they are very time and place for me. Like they feel like late nineties, early two thousands, like, which isn't a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing, but I think 20 years later, it makes other songs feel a little bit more, a little fresher to me than then yeah diane warren she is a beast of a writer but like i i could never listen to my heart will go on did she write that she wrote that yes who wrote that who so what did she write what was the big like oh she's never won an oscar so it wasn't that she's one. done because you love me by celine dion i think i'm pretty sure that was her yeah she did that i don't think she yeah she did. um and you know, it's funny that you asked that because I was looking at that to see who did what, but that's the main song that I can remember. But oh, How Do I Live Without How You? How Do I Live? Like, they're just like these. She did Unbreak My Heart. Unbreak My Heart. Oh, yeah, she did Unbreak My Heart. Yeah, she's like a beast of a writer, but like, I don't know. Maybe it's the production part because the songs are good, but I think maybe the production feels dated. Maybe that's what it is. But it is interesting to think because she was hot, hot. So, like, I don't think that she wrote this with in vogue in mind. I think they was like, what you got? Send us something. And that's a no, no. That's a no, no. Yeah. I think, I think that's part of it. It sounds very like kind of off the assembly line. Like it, it doesn't sound like in vogue. It's not something that, you know, it doesn't sound like one of their signature sounds. It's just kind of like, you know, it's a, it's a pop R and B pop soul type of. You know, run of the mill song, but you know a song I do love that Diane did for a group, um, "The Arms of the One Who Loves You" by Escape. I'm so happy you like that song. What did you think about "No Fool No More"? Well, maybe we can talk about that later. 
She she wrote with them twice. I think the second time it was produced by it wasn't produced by David Foster. I have an interesting story that I don't think is like known. I know Rona told me. I remember this is when I met her at like a, a she was at some event. She was speaking. She worked with David Foster on I want to know what love is. She did a cover of that, but it was not released. Hmm. She, I forget who who produced the version that was released on her um, solo CD. But that's just so interesting to me. Like, that's why I'm like, what exactly does a producer do? Because, you know, it's already a cover. So what is it that a producer adds that makes a song really pop? And in the case of this record, I'm just thinking like kind of all of the producers, they failed in Vogue in a certain sense. Um, And and Vogue has to take credit too by not really making a, a cohesive album. Like none of the songs are really bad. Like I could listen to all of the songs, but as a, collective album how everything kind of flows together there's really kind of no flow Mm -hmm. and so like with Tommy and Denny prior to that like at least they had like kind of interludes kind of guiding you through but like with this record there was just you know really nothing kind of like making it an in vogue experience like all of that personality from Funky D was not born to sing was you know it wasn't there and I know interludes don't make an album but like that's just one thing and then you know kind of like what songs did the Funky Divas show up on I would say they kind of showed up on Too Gone Too Long but a lot of times it was just you know like very it was like a, 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 a it was simmering but it never exploded it, mm. you know, it was like smoke but no fire well opposed to this Stephen Leo Stanley from All Music found that Don Robinson's departure left the album unaffected since the group's harmonies remain remarkably supple and soulful quote while he considered EV3 full of enough strong moments, he was critical of the band's decision to work with Warren and regular producer David Foster and their adult contemporary sound on Too Gone Too Long. Oh, so he agreed with us. <laughs> <laughs> that's the word. That's the phrase I was looking for. Adult contemporary. Yes, it feels very adult contemporary. Well, uh, and just going along with that, Chicago Tribune editor Monica Ng commented that EV3 found the band dabbling in an array of genres, trying to find their new voice with uneven results. And to kind of piggyback, I felt like, why did they need to find a new voice? And I get, because there's one thing, a new sound within a new voice. And I do kind of feel like they were looking for a new voice, but you are kind of had a persona from Funky Divas to kind of go off on. And I feel like when the Funky Divas showed up, y- you'll be fine. And so on a song like Don't Let Go, like that was super funky. The bass line, the rhythm section, um, you know, like it, it didn't sound just like free your mind or anything, but it kind of had that attitude and that kind of vibe. And so like, that's what you kind of expect from Invoke. So you've been cultivating this fan base and kind of cultivating this aura. And then on a lot of songs, um, you know, and it doesn't have to be on every song, but it should be on enough, you know, Invoke is known for like big songs. All of their hits are pretty much these big songs, anthems that when you're at a concert, sing along to this part, everybody's ready to sing along. And on EV3, like whatever's a very, very, very mellow song. I love it. It's just very mellow. There's, you know, Too Gone Too Long is like the one big one. All of the other songs are kind of, they're very laid back. And so I wonder why Invoke felt the need to be so laid back on all of these songs. And I have like a big dance moment or I guess, like I said, as far as the ballad, that was Too Gone Too Long's role, but Right Direction. I love that song, but it's just slow burn. Um, 
Eyes of a Child, slow burn. What a difference a day makes, slow burn. Like there's never like really big climaxes and peaks, you know, in the songs. Or, you know, none of the songs are really big except like maybe Don't Let Go On Too Gone Too Long, I think. This album, get, this album to me felt like Reading Rainbow. <laughs> I promise you, I was just... I, I just feel like I'm like this is songs the out there, like you know, it's, it's very much it's very much reading rainbow to me, like inspirational. Where you and I'm like, girl, and I'm kind of like, <laughs> it's like where is Invo? Literally, besides besides whatever, don't let go too long, too long. Um, I was just kind of like, where is Invo at? And it was very very like underwhelming to me let it flow i thought was cool until they did their guest before their guest appearance on the waves brothers and they kind of it kind of gave the song like a new life i kind of like that with beyonce songs a lot like i some songs i feel like i need to see a visual in order to really in order to really understand the song itself um and so it kind of made me like the song a little bit more so when i listen to it i think about them coming down the elevator you know, and like, you know, bouncing. And I think about that, so it kind of gives the song life to me. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the album was very much reading around with me. Sorry to the listeners and you guys who have favorites on there that you like. You know, sorry to invoke. You know, I know y'all put your all into it, or did you? But I know that you guys worked hard <laughs> to make this album, but I just was underwhelmed by it as a whole. And I just have to say, like, it's not that I don't like the song, it's that as an album. And I mean, I'm trying to think, like, you know, what I like in an album. Like, this album just, I remember buying the album, taking it home and listening to it and being so disappointed. And it made me feel like they just got old overnight. It was just like, it was like they were like this sexy, fun, funky group and then this album came out and it was just very like you know these guitars acoustic sounding like adult contemporary like songs it, I was just so baffled I was so baffled I feel I feel like the phrase adult contemporary is like a, a spell being cast <laughs> <laughs> by a witch but like I was, adult contemporary but it, like it, oh, it's such a curse but I will say this though, one song from this album that I totally like never listened to before that I love now is Sitting by Heaven's Door. I love that song now. I hated it. Like, I just never listened to it before, but I think I really like it because Don is on it, but. (laughs) But, no, but like, I really. Cindy and Terry ate that song. I really enjoyed. I just really enjoyed that song. It's a nice message. Like, the lyrics really kind of make me teary because it's, it's, it's really nice. So I'll give them that. And this, that definitely has a more adult sound but it's still a little bit more soulful than some of the other songs 
it's interesting you say that song because I remember there was a critic who was like kind of critical of it, but he was like, that's the song where it seems like they just, you know, went in yeah. and just sang. Like it was like almost a jam session that was very organic. Yeah. Where some of the other songs is just like a slow burn that doesn't really go anywhere. So, but yeah, I love, especially Cindy and Terry at the end, like Cindy's going all the way into the sixth octave, but enunciating, like she's talking like these incredibly high parts and Terry's holding like these notes forever. I do. And I also wonder though, I wonder how the parts would have been arranged if all four of them were, were you know, still there. Cause I'm sure they wouldn't have been split up that way. Um, so that, that would have been interesting too, to hear like who would have sang what on all of these songs actually. Are you the songs that Don aren't on? Um, yeah, or the, or the ones that she's still on. Like, I just wonder, like, if it were all four of them. Like, I don't think, because in Vogue never really, when it was all four of them, they never really tried to sing everything, you know, just to make sure everyone had a part, you know, as far as the lead. You know what I mean? I feel like there's, like, it's, I actually think the album's, pr- like, these critics who said, like, it's, you know, uneven and all this, I actually think it's, it's pretty consistent. I just don't think it's necessarily the right kind of consistent. Like, I think it's got a real, like, consistent tone to it, which I think, like, we've, we've sort of named in a lot of different ways. But, like, I also just think that they were, pro- I think I said this on a previous episode. Um, they, I believe they were trying, I think they were trying to push them in a direction that was not, like was way more pop, 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 clean, like sound. Cause I mean, think about that. 97, like that was when you had like the big Diane Warren, like how do I live and all these other kinds of things. It was very sanitized. It was very like clean cut kind of sounding songs. And that's what most of these are is kind of like these very chill guitar strummy songs. And so like, I wish that they were leaning more on the core audience they knew they had and weren't so hopeful that because they had their biggest pop hit that they could now shift them all the way on the other end and it was going to work. Right. But their biggest pop hit was, it was still a R&B song though. That's the thing though. It was like, yeah, it was a pop hit, but it was still very much R&B and soul. So why? I think it was a way. rock song. I feel like if Aerosmith would have did that song, the same key, same arrangement, like, you know, people would call it a rock song, but because they're black women, it's R&B. I feel like don't like it was very, I mean, it's almost Led Zeppelin type of, uh, what is it? Hard rock. I mean, it has a lead guitar in it, but I feel like it's still R&B. Well, because in Vogue is doing it. It's like when white people do dance music, it's like alternative. Like they'll play it on an alternative station. But had a black artist have done it or anyone else, it would have been dance music. So I don't know. Like that label, t- like I look at it as a rock song and it's not lost upon me that like their biggest hit was intended for a rock group. I wish that was more so the direction that they went in um, with the record. I feel like rock, just at that time, it was a little bit more edgy than R&B. R&B was like you all said, becoming a little bit more sanitized, becoming a little bit more contemporary for like the older acts and becoming a little bit more pop for the younger acts and with Vogue, you're the funky divas like I feel like they can pull off rock music really well I really wish maybe they would have worked with like um I don't know if Beck is a producer but whoever was producing Beck um Mike Elizondo like some actual rock producer I think that would have gave them all of the edge that they needed the music doesn't really have the edge but like the look had an edge so it kind of didn't correspond and so like you have which we'll probably get into later but like a video like whatever 
like R&B audiences hated that look. Like I, rem- I like I remember the reviews of whatever video, but it's like a typical R&B song. So you could have like changing faces and SWV with like someone, which kind of has a similar kind of feel to me. They had like, you know, moderate hits with those songs. Ben and Vogue made like a very standard R&B song, but gave like this kind of, you know, Manson, Marilyn Manson, you know, look and they got panned. So I wish they would have went for the edge, but went for it with like people who could actually give it to them. And I, the last thing I'll say regarding this is that like, Don't Let Go was produced by Organized Noise. Organized Noise didn't produce anything else. Um on the record, I wish instead of Andrea and Ivan, they would have worked with Organized Noise as producers. I think we might have done some of this already, but what do y'all remember about when the album was released? Like, did you buy it on the day that it was released? Did you go like to an album signing or anything? Like, what do y'all remember about the day it dropped? The the Spice Girls was my introduction to Grown Roots. So, Invoke had already had their like main era before my love for groups happened. So I kind of had to go back and like do like a, a a research session to kind of get familiar with their entire, you know, brand or whatever. I'm so happy you brought that perspective. I forgot about like the Spice Girls, it was like 96 and maybe in UK, but then like 97, like they really came to like the US. I don't know the timeline, but I remember, you know, like, you know, like the Spice Girls for huge and that's a girl group influenced by Invo. And, and, and I was like, Obsessed with the Spice Girls. Me too. I, 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 li- I literally had the Spice Girls video game on Me PlayStation. Too. What? Me too. Yes, Look, Josh. Listen, I had- it was a problem. I had, I y'all, I had. So I, you remember the like, Tiger Beat magazines and like J Seventeen yes, or whatever it was. Yes. I had bought one, and they had put that Posh Spice's birthday was April seventh, which is my birthday. And so I was like, that was my favorite Spice Girl. So I was like, oh, shit. Oh, she's mine, too. And so I was like, oh, my God. So I made my mother put her on my birthday cake with, like, it's a happy birthday, Josh and Posh Spice, like, on the birthday cake. And then I found out that it was a misprint, and her birthday was actually the 17th of April. So, like, (laughs) I was heartbroken. (laughs) But that is trash. I think it's a good thing to think about them in the context of girl groups at the time, because they were kind of given edgy and different i mean they were like definitely like kind of like young 21 year olds but like i don't know why they were allowed to do all that in vogue couldn't had to be relegated to the senior center and especially because they wrote their music they were they were credited as writers like they still get royalties for like every one of their hits it's kind of like to kind of compare you know this this new group of English women to this, you know, established brand of black women in America and how the the balance of power is is in is in one side's favor but not the other side. And favor. they were making and they were making or they were basing their pop hits off of R and B like components. Like which is so exactly. it's kind of a scam. Like they kinda of was it was it was a lot. I will say that on uh, on one Sunday Coming home from church, one of the people at our uh, church had this big house or whatever, and they would invite everybody over barbecue or whatever. So anyway, so I at that time, the adults were watching Set It Off while the kids were upstairs playing. Da-da-da-da. 
And so we were like sneaking in to like watch the movie because, you know, it's like, um, you know, guns and robberies, you know, we're trying to be what he does doing. And so I snuck in literally on the sex scene. And that was my first time hearing don't let go. <laughs> was watching Blair Underwood and Jada Pinkett do the nasty. Um, and so that was my first time hearing the song. Then, of course, I got caught. They're like, Chet, get out of here. You can't be seeing this. It's for adults. But, that, but that's one of my uh, memories or whatever. Well, for me, I, I think I got, I didn't get it when it first came out. It looked like it came out in May. I got it on my birthday in November. But I remember my cousin, he went to the album signing. They did the album signing at the Beverly Center. And I think Invoke Craze might have a clip of that on their channel, uh, on the channel. And so they did an album signing and it's the one where like they have on these amazing suits. Like I love the styling doing the EV3 era. So like there's the, these black wool suits, but it like has kind of like this um, graphic art, kind of like clouds or thunder or something on them. They look really cool. So avant-garde. So ahead of the time, people are trying to do that now. So he, when he, I remember him, you know, really complimenting Cindy and how, um, I don't know why he said she was tall because to me, she's not tall, but I'm 5'10". I think I'm a little bit taller than him, but he was like, you know, she's just tall, drink of water. Um, so, th- I mean, and like you can see clips of them and they still had like a very large fan base. And that was probably like the last time, you know, you know, they did like an album signing and you have like hundreds or maybe even thousands of people coming out, but I didn't get it until November. So I think whatever, too gone too long, those had already been singles and, um, that's my experience with EV3. I, I, I remember seeing it in the store and just waiting for my birthday. I knew I would get it on my birthday. What's up? If no one else wants to share, we can get into emotional themes and lyrical messages on EV3. Love, romance, social issues. I'm not a fan. Like, I kind of wanted them to go, like, I wanted them to have, like, a ain't shit, you, like, I've been done wrong, like, scorned and angry kind of album. Like, that's what I oh, really Oh, that's a masterpiece wanted. theater. I, w- I wish they would have taken a moment after Dawn left, after they had went through how many years between Funky Divas and um, EV3? Funky Divas in 1992, so that's about five. They done got the all the way to the finish line with almost with an album. And then your group member leaves. I wish they would have taken a pause, scrapped some things, and would have went back and said, let's channel all of our anger at this woman and put it into our music. Oh, that would have been And good. then gave us something They were trying to capitalize nasty. off of, you know, success. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm just not that invested in the EV3 album to really even care about whatever. Here's the thing. I will say this. Because of Free Your Mind, I feel like because it was such a huge cultural, culturally impactful song, I can kind of see why the group and the producers and even the label will want to kind of, you know, keep that theme going. Like, okay, let's let's not forget about, you know, you know, having like a socially conscious song with uh, a song with a social message. I understand that, but I feel like when you are already trying to package your album before you have even made your album, it puts you in a box, you know? So I just kind of feel like they're like, oh, let's do these themes. Let's stick to this theme. Um, and and those, and that's what they came up with versus like, you know what? Let's just record songs. Let's just, let's just go for it. And then what, and then choose the best 12 or whatever. You know, I don't get that. I get, I, I, the, 
what I get from it is that they had a theme for the album, which was friendship. And they and they chose songs that fit into that theme. Um, and I don't think that it worked out in the end, unfortunately. These are my opinions, just so you know. Um, all the listeners, uh, you guys like to complain that we're we're harsh, but I don't care, baby. These are my opinions. Um, and you can and you can have yours. Um, and if you have an issue, you feel free to at me. And I will gladly have a conversation with you, baby. Gladly oh. have a conversation. Oh, um, wow. Because <laughs> I know they're going to go in on me because I'm saying I don't like this album. I know they are. It's going to be that. It's that. It's those same three people that be commenting, talking about, oh, y'all too harsh or y'all. <laughs> And mind, and mind you, I'll be replying to their comments and then I'll reply back to me. But anyways, but that, that's my rant. <laughs> that's my rant. Let me stop. I don't even know why I said that. <laughs> well, the album cover, yay or nay, do you guys love it or hate it? Love it. In the words of the, of the great prophet uh, Raja, it's a shoot. <laughs> uh, I love it. I, I think that's my favorite thing about the whole project is the the looks the looks, the looks, the looks like supersede everything else. It's and but the looks don't match the album. The looks don't match the music. The the picture that Kevin posted of the candid of the don't let go shoot. I love that look. And then of course their their styling in the too gone too long video is amazing. Their styling in the don't let go video is amazing because in that era. The, for the for black girls entertainment, it was really glamorous. It was really it was really like um, New York street style. Like we're going to like a lounge. Like it was very much that. The closest you know? the closest thing I can think of at the time, and we'll talk about this, I think, in a in a little bit, is um, visually at least is the Velvet Rope era because Janet was kind of giving these interesting like. Think about what she was doing with her hair at the time and how she was kind of like styling in interesting ways. She had like more of a like think about the Got to Let's Go on video. Like that is like it was an R&B song, but it was kind of giving this really interesting visual around like South Africa and like these interesting tweeds and textures and patterns and yes. things. And so that feels a lot like that single cover and even the album cover. But it worked musically for Janet in that way that I don't think it worked when you have a glossy song like Too Gone Too Long. Like This is the this is the look that I think they should have just carried through for E V three. Yeah, yes. What is this? wait? 100%. Describe what describe for the for the listeners, which That's the whatever the international whatever single cover, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's yes. it's giving it's giving high fashion, it's giving sexy, it's giving you know, it doesn't look country chic. What is country chic? I would love to see your like. You point out like a country artist who wore something similar because I don't. I can't think of like maybe the Dixie like Chicks later, side, but they didn't like even the wear countryside. Like, yeah, I'm not speaking about country artists, but I'm talking about like country, like not like western. I don't. I don't think country is a good is the right word. <laughs> it just looks very like country, like. I think it's giving English countryside. It's giving English countryside. Like, when I think about style in 97, Too Gone Too Long is, like, the perfect description of, like, that video. Like, when they were in, like, the black skirts and with the slits. Like, that was very, like, in style. 
that's what I don't like about the album cover. Like, I, I think the styling is great, but you can't really see what it's giving. And so I think in the episode where we talked about album covers and we really went in depth into album covers, like Stacey Dash had on the same dress Terry had on in an episode of Clueless. If you remember back in the day, Clueless was a TV show on UPN. And, you know, Stacey Dash, is, of course, is a beauty, but so is Terry. But you can see like the back out. And so I just wish they would have photographed them better. I think the photographers, in this case, who I don't want to get the people wrong, but they're the same one who did um, SWV's release some tension album cover, which came out probably like a couple of months later. So the same green couch and like you know, SWV never really gives anything, but like they really look like they you know were famished that day. They just are kind of like laying on each other. So like the photographers to me, um, they could have pulled out a little bit more, showed the body. Like I don't know, maybe got some poses or something. It really looks like they're just sitting on the couch. So you if you can kind of. You know what I think about? What what I what I re- I'm representing in my mind is um, Backstreet Boys when they did the the Backstreet Back All Right video when they were like different um, Halloween characters, you know. So I, I I'm saying that because I feel like you know the album cover it's it's uh, kind of reminiscent of the Whatever video. So that that styling and theme is kind of like continuing with the album cover art. But I think that I love the consistency, but I think that the styling for that video should have been for that video. You know what I mean? Because even though Backstreet Boys did that video, that wasn't the the conceptual, the overall con- concept of the album that they did. They still, when you, had, when you saw the album cover, they still look like heartthrobs, you know? So I think that that look could have been for whatever video, but then when the album cover is, is here, it's like, well, let's just be these these gorgeous statuesque black women you know looking trendy you know um i think they could have captured that with the same look and the same thing if they were better photographers like maybe people do different things so maybe some people know how to capture steel and some people know how to capture motion but like if they would have kind of captured motion and showed the because their bodies you know they're in great shape everything it's just kind of like how the Don't Let Go single cover, those look very different to me. The one that was released as opposed to the outtake, like Cindy, it looks like she has no buckle fat in the outtake. Um, so I don't, I just, some people know how to capture motion. Some people don't. I feel like if you, you could see, you know, the, them in motion, it will look so much better and not have that couch, that green couch. But that's all I'll say. All right. So what are your favorite songs from the album or top three? Well, I definitely have to give it up for Eyes of a Child. I feel like so much of what is going on now, you know, like when I think about those um, 19, uh, the victims in Uvalde, Texas, uh, you know, just songs like that. I don't know if people still make songs like that. Just very conscious of the way we treat children and, you know, the what we say to children and what we're implanting in children. So I thought I, I love that lyrically. I love the some of the chords in there. Like I love that. And it may seem like I'm dreaming and the bass goes dun, dun, dun. I I love that moment of the song. So I love that kind of vulnerability uh, top three. So that's one of them. I would say definitely too gone too long and you're all I need. I think Cindy gave an extremely great vocal performance. It was That could have been a single. 
Yeah, very heartfelt. I love the end when she kind of like um, Josh and Champ were talking about last week, how she can sing up the scale. She kind of does this thing that I don't think any other R&B singer or any, you know, anyone singing R&B could do where it's like, you're all I need. Uh, you know, I can't, of course I can't do it. It was just Jasmine beautiful. Jasmine can do it. Ugh. Oh, really? You know what, JP? I don't need your uh, Jasmine Sullivan <laughs> today, Okay. I don't need. I don't hate Jasmine Sullivan, but I just her voice. Um, it's more so maybe the tone to me that I don't care for, and I never realized how important tone was until like someone was like, "I don't really like Mariah Carey," and I was like, "Well, how could you not like Mariah Carey?" It's like the tone. I was like, "Hmm." So that's what Jasmine is for me, like the clarity in her voice. So maybe she can, you know, do that kind of operatic thing Cindy did, but it wouldn't sound the same. Maybe like the keys, the glide, or whatever it's called. But those are my three. Well, my favorite, song, my favorite songs are the songs that they still perform today. Which ones are those? <laughs> I am so petty. Let me stop. They perform whatever sometimes. No, sometimes. my favorite my favorite song is whatever. Too long, too long. And don't let go. Um, mine are uh, whatever's number one. I would say it, it, they did pick the best I think singles off that album. So like of all of the things, whatever and too gone too long are like top two for me. And I really do love let it flow. I just like, I think it's y'all know I like a mid tempo groove and that's like giving it to me. So that song would be cute if they was not meowing like cats. Like what? Like that is edgy to me. That, that matches some of these images that don't, that don't work. Edgy. Like, you know, I mean, they ain't gotta always be traditional with it. Yeah, I that think kills it's... it for me. <laughs> My top three is I would I'm not gonna count Don't Let Go because I feel like it's a standalone. Like it shouldn't have even been on the album. Whatever is 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 I listen to it all the time. Like it's still in regular rotation. I think I wish the whole album kind of felt like that and had that kind of R and B flavor to it. Um Damn I Wanna Be Your Lover. I love that song. I think Terry Terry kills it on that one. And Sitting by Heaven's Door is the is the other one that I really like. I also kind of have gotten into right direction a little bit more. I was listening to, to that a lot last week. What are your least favorite tracks on the album? Does anybody hear me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just, and I'll give you my reason why, because I don't want to just, you know, leave it there. It's like Sylvia, and I, I have, multiple people have to be blamed for that. So it's in vogue, it's Ivan Mateus, it's Sylvia Rohn, and it's Marilyn Bob, because somebody should should have just been like, okay, we need to remix this, because it's not so much, like, I feel like if it was like Deep House, or just any kind of just like, something with a lot of sense. Like it could have started with just that. Does anybody hear me give a lot of reverb, like David Eno type reverb. Does anybody hear me? And it just echoes. And then like some kind of beat just drops. And like that could have been seven minutes to write the album out. You could have danced. So people could have, you know, took acid to it, dan- you know, went to some kind of, you know, a rave to that song. Does anybody hear me? Like, but to it just be acapella and like the lyric, like it was just a bunch of platitudes, which you could have masked if there was like a good remix, but it's like, I feel sad, but knowledge is power. Like it's just like stuff was coming out of nowhere. So like the more <laughs> you know, reading Rainbow, uh, this is your brain on drugs. Like, you know, like there was really like nothing really centered it lyrically. And then 
they the harmonies like they could have made it a little bit more interesting and like really broke down the parts and or maybe had it kind of feel like you know they're just in the studio ad-libbing because there's some songs like there's the sylvester song uh what is it called? I forget the name of it, but it's like him and the background singers. It's like, tell me that you love me. And they're just ad-libbing. It, and it sounds very organic. It sounds like a jam session. Like that's how shit went out. So like that song had potential, but it's like, it just seemed like they, Sylvia was like, okay, we need a 12 song. Go in the studio. You have five minutes. <laughs> and that's what came out. My least favorite tracks are Right Direction and Eyes of a Child. Oh, how dare you? How dare you say that? Only thing about Right Direction, I love it because of Maxine, honestly. I knew it. <laughs> I'm just, and, I'm going to be yeah, honest. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Liter- literally, whatever song on this album, the girls kill because the vocals are always top tier. That is true. I don't, Tell I, it. I don't, I don't care if the girls are singing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. They are going to give you some top tier vocals, period. So, any of my critiques about the album has nothing to do with the ladies, but everything to do with the production and the label. Because but they executive like, produced it, so they do have to take some of the heat. I mean, but did they? It's they have the that's like the only album. Sylvie Rowan, Merlin Bob, A and R, In Vogue, executive producers. I mean, Soldier Boy has credit on Beyonce Lemonade, but did he really write that song? <laughs> I mean, well, she sampled him, so she so he got. I mean, I mean, I I agree that they probably did um did um you know have have more creative input, but I also have to consider that this was the album that Don left. And the label, Sylvia Rowe, were scrambling trying to figure out what to do with that. So but I that's two songs. She left. I, I know, but I'm just saying, I, I just feel like there was probably more label oversight than, than She me. recorded most of the album. She all, all the songs. <laughs> I'm not blaming anything on the ladies. I'm blaming the label. And I'll take that. Yeah, because um, Ivan and Andrea, Andrea, I'm not sure how you say your name. They shouldn't have got as many songs as they did. They should not have gotten that many songs. And, and well, that's who I'll call out on this episode. Who pro- who produced Don't Let Go? Organized Noise. Organized Noise. Yeah, and they brought live noise. drums. Organized why why noise. can't we have live drums? What do people have against live know. drums? Why is everything a drum machine? It's, it's expensive. It's expensive. Organized Noise and Babyface should have should have produced the whole album. Yes, I needed another. I needed like a couple more records in the vein yes. of whatever because that is that okay. is one song that does not sound dated at all to me. It sounds just yeah. Yeah, l- l- let me tell you, I turn whatever on in the gym, and it still knocks, and I still do, do that little hit move too. <laughs> <laughs> on the on the elliptical, everybody be like, "What is he doing?" Like how do you how do you rec- how do you record a song like whatever and do not be like oh y'all got to go back in there and do that a couple more times like that's the A and R person and Sylvia Rome. I need some more and like, I can't just have one song because that was that okay I don't even want to talk about it I'm gonna get mad about it. I'm gonna get mad well that's I think that's why it didn't work in the end because like it, I remember I, <laughs> this is a weird example I remember when Tweet's album came out and I was so excited because I loved Oops Oh My. 
and I was in the, I was in middle school and I got that album and all of it was guitar strumming. And, you know, <laughs> now, keep in mind, I love that album to like, de- I, I love that album more and more and more and more and more with each year. But like, it was kind of like the hook was one, like the hook and to get people listening was the, the most commercial track. And then they were like, let's sneak the rest of it in there. And that felt, it feels a little bit like that with this album because like whatever is such a strong song to lead on, especially with such a striking visual for it to like, for the rest of it to just not match the same energy. Yeah. But the, and the engine, but the thing is though, like I think oops was one of the last records tweet did like whatever wasn't even like one of the last records. Cause Don is on that record too. So it's like, they did that pretty, you know, I guess midway through or early on in the recording process. So it's not like it was like, you know, the last song that they were recording. So it's like they could have continued. I'm going to put it on. I, I agree. I'm going to put it on a label yeah. because the label should have said, uh-uh, like, go this. The the right direction is over there, not <laughs> whatever this, and have y'all this heard, is. Have y'all here. heard the version of whatever with Dawn on it? Mm-hmm. It wasn't remarkable. I've heard it. Um, My least faves. I feel like we've said them. Um. I'm not a fan of Does Anybody Hear Me? I, especially not as an album closer. I No. Right. It and then the um, probably, yeah, probably uh, What a Difference a Day Makes. Okay, so EV3 had uh, three official music videos. If you count Don't Let Go, there was Don't Let Go, directed by Matthew Ralston, their longtime photographer. He also directed Foolish Games by Jewel, Candyman by Christina Aguilera. You might know The Power of Goodbye, Madonna, one of my all-time favorite Madonna songs. And of course, he did My Love and You Never Gonna Get It for In Vogue. He did... uh, you know what a man with invoking son peppa then he went on to do whatever and then too gone too long was directed by francis francis lawrence who did waiting for tonight jennifer lopez turn your lights down low lauren hill and bob marley independent women um you know that monstrosity by destiny's child and he also directed the hunger games two and three so what are your favorite music videos guys tell me whatever 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 I could just do a whole, ugh, I love that video so much. And I, I can say that I didn't like it when it first came out. And I feel like it did sink the album because like, you know, um, so many people didn't appreciate it at the time. So maybe if it was like the second single, it wouldn't have, you know, had such a negative impact on the album. I think the visuals were very polarizing. I think the song would have done, I mean, because the song did well. Um, didn't it peak at like number 11 or 12 or something like that on the Hot 100? It wasn't, yeah, somewhere beneath the top 10 and the top 20. I don't know the exact number. Yeah, I mean, 11, but 12, I, think, I just think the visuals were so polarizing. That's not what people wanted to see. If they had the same song with just like uh, some sexy, you know, outfits that were more um, uh, mainstream fashion, mainstream high fashion and some cute choreography, I think it definitely could have been a, a completely different, you know, scenario. Hey, I'm Terry Ellis. That, that that wasn't me. And you're back with more Planet Groove. That was whatever. I know. I, I know. Uh, you know, we never really got a chance to, to talk about that video. It, I know it was whatever, huh? Um, well, whatever. What happened was, <laughs> when we decided to do that video, we sat down with the video director and, you know, he had these wild ideas and you know, you thought that was bad. Some of those ideas we vetoed because they were really bad. 
But um, that's what happens when you take too time too long to get back to work. But you know, hey, hey, somebody liked it. I started seeing that stuff showing up in other videos. Some of those weird moves and stuff. Somebody liked it. At any rate, that's that's what it was. Whatever. Hey, it was whatever. It was the artistic moment we had. It's well, very because good. now everybody everybody's giving that now. Like that look now is. I mean, yeah, that's kind of in. It's yeah. Rihanna Disturbia. American of, Horror Story, yeah. all that kind of like, yeah. yeah. It, you know what? I feel like whatever. So whatever is definitely my favorite video as well because of because of to me how timeless it is. I feel like whatever as a video could come out today and still feel current. I feel the same way about Free Your Mind video as well. Um, I think whatever should have gotten a rap feature. Probably on some remixes it did. I mean, a real rapper? ODB is a real rapper. Oh, you said ODB? Uh-huh. Oh, I ain't never heard of it. I know. I think the the person who should have featured on it was either Missy Elliott or Busta Rhymes. Because... I remember you said that. because Because the concept of the video, it fits their aesthetic, too. Uh, Missy and Buster were always known for like being avant-garde, super out there, super, you know, daring. So I feel like this whole style would have went so well with them. That's so interesting because so that is fascinating to me because yes, at the time, Missy was given Super Duper Fly and was like, so we were cool with it in hip-hop, but not, but in Vogue doing it and giving this aesthetic wasn't, I, I will die on the hill that part of the reason also is because like, I just don't think that people w- wanted to let black women go that far and edgy and, and different because I don't understand why Busta Rhymes can really play with that kind of aesthetic for years and years and years and it not be a problem. You know what, you know why, you know why this is me looking at it from a, from a marketing standpoint, Right. Buster Rhymes is not a, is not an attractive man. Right. Um, he, right. he he has a very unique look. He's you don't look at him and be like, dang, Buster Rhymes is sexy. You look at him and say, dang, he is so talented and his brand is so out there. So I feel like he can get away mm. with it because because it wasn't his face. The and beauty then, wasn't part of the package. Exactly. Right. And, and, and Vogue, okay. and Vogue was a, a branded yeah. And Vogue was a branded crew, and they they what made them high was the fact that they were beautiful they were classy they were yeah, sexy yeah they were sexy they were that's sexy what, and Missy know. Elliott is is a big one and she's she was a curvy girl back then so it's like uh, sexy is not her aesthetic glamour isn't her aesthetic being weird and awkward and owning like that was her aesthetic so I feel like it's like well I can't be sexy as a big woman in this current climate of the industry so I'm gonna be I'm gonna be super weird but I feel like for In Vogue People wanted the glamour, and this video or this look was kind of like a deterrent from the glamour. It was very editorial. It was very Vogue. It was very much, you know, European, you know, and it, it they look great. Like, looking back on it, they look great, but I feel like at the time, because all of the black girls, Brandy, Monica, Maya, Tamia, Deborah Cox, and, like, they were all given this, like, really you know, glamorous, you know, trendy style, and then in Vogue comes with this, 
it kind of throws it off. So I understand, and like, why if we're being honest, though, I, it's, in context, I disagree. Like, Escape had those suits before 1997. Brandy looked like a teenager. Monica looked like a teenager. They were giving very basic, like, they was like T and Tamara with the bucket hats. Yeah, but they, like, they weren't giving weirdo shit either. But they weren't giving glamour either. I'm just saying it wasn't, they weren't really giving, like, maybe Whitney was giving glamour, but you look at Deborah Cox's video, she, only time I get sentimental, she's walking in jeans, like, um, they were given glamour. I don't consider jeans well, glamorous. I think Whit- Whitney is a great example because Whitney built her like she was a glamour girl. Like she was a she was she was statuesque and glamorous and like put together all the time. And so, by, like if Whitney if Whitney had come and done something similar, the world would have been like, "What is this?" But right. to be fair, I think it's also genre specific too because I think that there, I think white girls at the time and other genres were allowed to do this. I think about like Fiona Apple and Madonna and Garbage and all these other kinds of folks. Like they are allowed to be messy and and have like out there looks and all that other kind of stuff. Madonna literally for the Ray of Light album made herself like she covered all the way up. So like for, I remember when Frozen came out, I was like, what Ooh, is yes. this? But like. She was allowed to do that. Like, I feel like she was allowed to be like those things at the same time. And I just but, don't think that the world allowed black women singing R&B music to be anything other than sexy or other than put together and glamorous. But it goes back to what we've been saying. Like, why are you trying to have this edge making like, you know, run of the mill R&B music? Like Frozen was a huge departure. It was like Electronica. She had this brilliant idea to work with William Orbit. Like that just came out of nowhere. Like, um, like it matches the music. Like Courtney love i remember actually after this when she did oh make me over which was the song i love like she went more glamour from the grunge look but it's like the music fit within vogue it's like you have all this edge visually but then the audience that you have like r&b is kind of a stale genre it was becoming very stale towards the later parts of the 90s like i don't know what happened to r&b so if you, they matched with the if the look matched the music i feel like maybe but r&b is just I think boring it, it did for whatever though i feel like it's there are parts of whatever that are creepy sounding like when you pull them out like the backgrounds are kind of like like the even like the the way that they're doing like the bum 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 like that is all very like odd so i feel like it worked for that but they should have just gave us a whole album of it yeah i can see it but i think they could have done some creepy shit but i think they still could have <laughs> they still could have like minimized it like they still should give give the people what they know you for and what they want to see you want to see in vogue giving you glamour giving you sexy but then you can do like have a, a creepy scene or two, but just not that shouldn't be the whole, you know, the whole package. They should have had a dance break. Yes, <laughs> they probably Give a, did. a dance break with a fierce little, you know, cat suit right. moment. Because because where where does where it works? I feel like if you're able to still implement some type of blackness into it. I feel like this was it. The the concept, although high fashion and very conceptualized, it just didn't connect with their main audience like like it's supposed to. You know, when Hold On came out, everybody wanted a, a sexy black dress. You know what I mean? Uh, you, you know, give him some something he can feel. Women still world that for Halloween costumes today. You know what I mean? But I feel like what what black girl was going to wear them outfits? So, let's transition over to our newish segment, which is about rare tracks. Um and so to rare tracks 
uh b-sides all the good stuff um this episode we're going to talk about i've got your gun which was written and produced by denzel foster and thomas mcelroy and it was included on the japanese release of ev3 and it includes all four original members So, folks, what do y'all think about this track? I I think the song is cute. It's okay. It could have replaced, you know, something on the album. It could have replaced, uh, does anybody hear does me? Does anybody hear me? <laughs> yeah, it could have replaced that for sure. I mean, I like it. I don't like that they, you know, like, I can tell it's a drum machine. Like, get use a drummer. But other than that, I like it. It's kind of like it um, is in the vein of Mariah Carey Touch My Body, where it's just like kind of writing the melody. As a matter of fact, like, it's just very melodic. So I like that. I like the ad libs. It's a, you know, it's a, it's an excellent um, B-side. And I, I like it. Yeah, I'm. I, it's not my favorite, but I like it too. I think it's like, I definitely think it's stronger than some of the album cuts that made the the actual U.S. release. I actually think that like of the like between this and some of the other unreleased, I actually think that I like some in terms of unreleased stuff from any one particular era. I like. I think the strongest unreleased stuff came out of EV3. To be quite honest, they could have swapped a bunch of them tracks out. On to submitted letters. Want to join the conversation? Send us a letter or voicemail to partofusevf at gmail.com and we'll read it in a future episode. Today's email comes from Justice Jackson. From and Iowa. Justice writes, <laughs> he said, or, sorry, Justice says, hey y'all, welcome back. Congratulations on your second season premiere. As per usual, I was thoroughly entertained. It was a great way to kick off the season. I'm so happy the girl, uh, for the girls right now. It truly feels like us EV fans are eating good right now and they are slaying. I was shocked by the new costumes and slick update. Uh, arrangements. My heart is so full right now. I truly hope the ladies use this momentum to get some new music out. I want to chime in on the It's About Love segment and say I agree with both Matan and Josh's points. It's About Love is such a beautiful song and honestly is like a funkier version of Part of Me. Little trivia, the song was a bonus track on the Japanese edition of EV3. Japan always gets the best bonus tracks, don't they? Not to keep on for too long, I just wanted to check in and can't wait to uh, for the next set of episodes and topics. I will definitely be tuned in. Again, congrats to all for the new season. One love, justice. Uh, Justice also says, by the way, the Supreme uh, member that was mentioned was Linda Lawrence, and she joined the group in 1972 with Gene Terrell and Mary Wilson on the Floyd Joy album. She was singing on, uh, she was singing on Bad Weather, though. I love her ad libs. Yes. Yes, Justice. Linda Lawrence. She was definitely doing them ad libs on Bad Weather. Thank you, Justice. I love this letter so much. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it's like, it's and like yes for Floyd like Joy. With us. Um, uh, Justice, Justice mentioned, um, slick update arrangements. Matang, can you, are, can you, uh, elaborate Confirm. on like, some, <laughs> some arrangements that have been updated for the live performances? 
I can't really think of anything that's been updated. Like, hold on, sound like it sounds, you know, every time I've seen them and like for that venue, I think they definitely should have upped the tempo, but everything, the one cool thing was, um, on what a man ended, like there's kind of like this kind of like, um, interlude before they go into don't let go. But I can't think of the arrangements being different. Maybe my love and no, everything seemed the same to me musically, but it's just visually it was, you know, like, you have to, I mean, you probably, if you've watched the clip, you've seen it where like the lights come down and then like there's this outline on the big screen of them and then it reveals this pose and then, you know, but musically, I can't think I of- saw a clip of uh, Don't Let Go and the arrangement. I mean, it's, it sounded different to me. I mean, the song, the, the song is always going to be the song, but <laughs> um, I don't know, something about it just sounded, I think just the instrumentation sounded different to me. Like, I mean, the melody, like, they don't change the melody, of course, but it's just, I think something about the arrangement, it just, it did sound a little bit different to me for some reason. So, you can stream part of us on the Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, YouTube, and most other podcasting apps. For more Invogue-related content, find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, at Invogue Craze, Twitter, um, at Part of Us Fancast. If you have ideas for interview requests, comments, questions, email them to us at partofusevf at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, please rate and review our podcast. Thank you, co-hosts, for joining. Uh, does anyone want to share your social media handles? I'm your little dog, too, on YouTube. Written by Champ on Instagram and Twitter. And I am at Josh Jinks, J-E-N-K-S, on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at Everybody Loves JP on Instagram and Twitter. Bye. 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 This episode of Part of Us at Invoke Fancast was researched, written, produced, and edited by Matthew at Culture Inject Productions. The intro and outro music was produced by Wolves and Vincent Tone. We're more than just a podcast. We're a fan community. You can keep up to date on Invogue and chat with other fans by visiting Invogue Craze on Facebook. You can also follow us on YouTube and Instagram at Invogue Craze and Twitter at Part of Us Fancast. Part of Us and Invogue Fancast is not endorsed by Invogue, E1 Music, or Invogue Records and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. Invoke and its names, images, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyrights of the respective copyright holders. I really need to know, was this album really supposed to be called Friendship? It just doesn't even sound right. <laughs> I've, I've heard that title. I've heard that like, like for a while, but I'm like, who confirmed that? Ooh, let's was just really be thankful it wasn't the title. title. <laughs> okay. That could have been a working title. You know how um, there's, what do you call Cause you know, I can never get the terms right, but when there's like certain things that are under wraps and you rename them. So it's like, this is a yeah. secret, you know, like if it's yeah. a secret and you call, okay, because back then stuff used to leak. So maybe this is secret project friendship, but I think Don, now see, I don't remember, but someone asked Don about that in one of the interviews. So I can't pinpoint the interview and I don't remember if she confirmed or denied that it was supposed to be called friendship. It might've been called EV3 Silk because it was the EV3, uh, oh, it was the, the third. third in Vogue album regardless, but um, you know, someone, one of the listeners can confirm that or not. Cause I, you know, I won't be able to find that interview and there's, you know, hundreds of them. So I can't come through all of them.
regardless, when Dawn left, you can't release an album called Friendship when you just lost the member. <laughs> <Not> so <laughs> it had to go. It this had to friendship go. is dead. Or at least on pause. 